Welcome to Sound and Vision, that trivia-based wonder of pop culture, with your host, Marty Boston. Thank you, Scary Children. Yes, we are back this week. Very exciting theme, actually. Oscars are upon us, which means that we've gone for one of the nominations, director nominations. I am joined once again by my radiant co-host, Dan Wilson. Well, well, well. Look who it is, eh? <laughs> the dynamic duo back at it again. Dynamic. Yes. Straight away, messed this up. It's all right, mate. We're I, off to a good start. I, I knew what you were saying. They knew what you were saying, so it's perfectly fine. Just before we get into our choices and how the show works, I just want to speak briefly about the Oscar nominations for directors of this year. Are you aware of who's up for the Oscar nods for director? Because I have a list in front of me. Uh, so let, I, I don't. I don't know. Okay. Let me take a guess. Mm-hmm. The director of 1917, which I believe is Sam Mendes. Correct. One of five. Look at this guy. The director of Parasite. Yep. Bong Joon-ho. Yep. Parasite. Um, what else has come out this year? The director of The Irishman, Martin Scorsese. Yep. Three out of five so far. You're doing well. Yeah, this, this is good. I'm really impressed with myself. Um, Two more. Big hitters as well. Big hitters. Really big hitters. Can you give me a hint? Yeah, one's a comic book film. A comic book film? Mm-hmm. What comic book film came out this year? Directed... Oh, The Joker. Yeah. Um, Which was directed by, I don't know. The guy who directed The Hangover, Todd Phillips. Okay, sure. Which is amazing if he did get it. But They're basically the same film. Um, And then final one had Brad Pitt in it. Oh, Quentin Tarantino with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Now, I was having a discussion with some people about this, about who I believe will win and who won't win. I don't think The Irishman is going to win pretty much anything maybe best supporting actor and the reason why is because it's a netflix production it wasn't released in cinema and i still feel that hollywood are bitter when it comes to streaming services and the fact that netflix is slowly but surely taking away from cinema and i feel like that's going to be transported into this in addition parasite won't win it's very, very difficult for an international movie to get. Admittedly, Roma won two years ago, which is purely Mexican film. Wonderful film as well, but that was a spanner in the works. I think if any of these are going to win, it's 1917. Yeah, I mean, 1917 just won the BAFTA. It just has the feel for it as well. Joker is comic books, so again, I don't feel like that's necessarily going to come across as like an Oscar-nominated director. One. Hopefully, though, uh, it will be... Um Wakan Phoenix getting the Oscar for Best Actor. That'd be amazing if he does. Uh, I mean, he's doing some really... BAFTAs, he won again last night. Um, Golden Globes, he won for that as well. He's doing really well with it. And clearly, his portrayal of a Joker is absolutely smashing it out of the park. I mean, it was a great film. I uh, yeah, I still haven't seen it, which is very... Which is outstanding for a man who loves the DC Universe, yeah. loves Batman. The, the last film I went to see at the cinema was Shazam, which was May last year. I just haven't had the time. Family man. Yeah, it's upsetting because uh, I, I miss the cinema. But there we go. Anyway, so you believe 1917? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think it's the uh, the easy choice. You've seen it? I have. Amazing? Um, yeah, really, really good. It's not... There's nothing in there that you don't expect to be there. Okay. So you know it's the one-shot camera. You mm. know it's going to be a visual masterpiece. Um, the story doesn't really have any major upsets or beats. It is the story it's trying to tell. Okay. And it's unapologetic in that. And it does it well. I really enjoyed it. Do I need to see it again? Probably not. 
Just going on to uh, what you were saying about the one-shot aspect as well, because some listeners may not be aware. Can you go briefly into detail about that? Yeah, basically, um, similar to what they did with Birdman Mm. um, a few years ago. I say they, I mean movies when I say they. (laughs) Um, The one-shot camera is basically, there's no real cuts in the film. So it'll go from, you meet the characters right at the start of the film, and right at the end, the characters, there's, there's been no camera cuts in between. Yeah. Um, naturally of course they haven't just filmed for an hour and a half straight and done a perfect take there'll be instances where something will completely cover the screen and the character will walk back on you'll recognise that there would have been a camera cut there but in terms of the storytelling it's one continuous couple of hours from start to finish so it doesn't you know, go from one side of the map to the other it's constantly with set people yeah no time skips or anything like that you were just watching an hour and a half to three hours I can't exactly remember how long it was of, of someone's life Wow, not a Christopher Nolan film then, that's for sure. Not a Christopher Nolan film, no. Because that goes everywhere. But I think I think that's why when I say it sort of just tells that one story, there was never going to be an opportunity to do anything else. Mm. Because how much can actually happen in you know the space of two hours, really? Absolutely. Um, I mean, from what I've seen trailer-wise and everything, it looks absolutely astonishing. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's definitely a cinema experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it, it beats the hell out of uh, Dunkirk. Really? Which I didn't really love, to be honest, okay. but... Yeah, it didn't really hit well with many war buffs, to say the least. But yeah, no, overall, I enjoyed it because it's a Nolan film and I'm biased. Um, anyway, the way that the show works is as followed. There is a theme, which is Oscar nom directors, um, or the winners for the Oscar nom for directors, rather. And both me and Dan have chosen two films. We both know what the films are, but you don't. We're going to give you three bits of trivia, so I'll give you the first three bits of trivia first. A little bit of music's going to be played, not related to that film at all. That's your time to try and work out what film I've been giving you hints about. We'll come back, reveal what the film is, discuss it for a little bit, then it'll be Dan's go. Dan will do the same as me, and we'll do that twice over. So me, Dan, me, Dan. Marty, I've got a question for you. Mm. Are we going to reveal the directors we're talking about before the film? No. Okay, so... We're giving our trivia without naming the director. Is that going to make it difficult for no, you? No, that's fine. I just wanted to be clear. Yeah. no, Because uh, most of these directors have only one at once, so it will give it away quite quickly otherwise. That's fine. Yeah. No, don't, don't, don't say my name. Okay. Okay. I'll go on with my first. Danny Aleo's line, Michael Corleone says hello, was completely ad-libbed. The director loved it and asked him to do it again in the retakes. Danny has gone on and said, due to being nervous about working with the director, he didn't hear himself when he said the line, and to this day has no idea why he said it. Clue 2. Al Pacino caused problems throughout production, demanding a massive salary and heavy script rewrites. He frequently complained about the director's slow pace, yelling Serpico only took 19 days and threatened to quit. This film was filmed in 104 days, which, you know, is a little bit longer than 17 days. There's a lot of actors, actually, who uh, who get in trouble for this. Really? I know that Marvel dropped Edward Norton because he was uh, someone who Hulk. constantly told him to rewrite scripts, constantly tried to direct it in his own vision, mm. um, which is why they split ways with him and went with Mark Ruffalo. So Yeah, and I mean, considering he was the main character as well, you'd feel... I can understand his logic. He's like, well, they're not going to drop me because I'm the forefront, I'm the guy, and for them to do it, it was a bold move, but worked, because Ruffalo, I prefer, easily. Yeah, me too, definitely. Uh, clue three. This was the first film sequel to receive five Academy Award nominations for acting. Best Actress in Supporting Role, Best Actor in Supporting Role, Best Actor in Supporting Role again, Best Actor, 
and the winning one, which was Robert De Niro, he took home the Oscar for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. There's a lot of supporting roles for this. Basically. And a lot of actors. Yeah, a lot of actors. And maybe one actress based on that. Well, they're all actors. It's all the same, isn't it? It Everyone's is. Everyone's just an actor now. It's 2020, everyone. Yep. Um, so, those are your three clues. Dan, you haven't seen this film, have you? No, it's the only one, though, this week, Marty. Which is amazing, considering I haven't seen either of yours. Who's the host now, huh? I know, right? We'll be back after this. Imagine, you know, you're, you're an army guy and uh, your dad says, Hi, hi, I'm a, I'm a mobster. I'm a mafia overlord. I'm a godfather. Um, do you want to take over this? And you're like, no. I mean, your dad, you know, can't do it anymore for various reasons in case you haven't seen the first one. Um, and then you have to take over the entire mob franchise. Um, and through various ways, you get deeper and deeper. You was this powerful but purely good intention man and you slowly start to decay away into this evil person who gets put in a difficult situation and that's what happens to michael colleone in the godfather trilogy in particular francis ford capella won the best director for the godfather part two which follows two stories really um the colleone family tells the story of a young vito corleone which is played by marlon brando in the first one uh growing up in sicily in the 1910s and new york as well and it also follows michael corleone in the 1950s as he attempts to expand his family business in las vegas hollywood and cuba i must just say marcy that i have been in the show with you for a while mm. and i'm so used to you butchering names that i am so impressed with how well that retelling went yeah so i've seen this film a lot so i know how to say their name good good work <laughs> um francis ford capella if you don't know who that is uh he's known for the godfather trilogy uh bram stoker's dracula apocalypse now we were speaking about previously and is the father of sophie capella who directed lost in translation um and mary antoinette several other films as well she was actually also in the godfather part three she is mary colleone um, Al Pacino's daughter. Um, wow, trivia, trivia wonders today. You are, aren't you? Mm, yeah, and I mean, the Godfather trilogy is one of those classics. That everyone knows what it's about. Everyone knows, you know, roughly what it's involved. It's mafia, it's mobsters. Um, you know, the Italian mafia in particular, and the the journey that Michael Corleone goes through is absolutely astronomical. Like it, he just goes from one spectrum to the other. He goes from pure good. And then you slowly just see his demise over the course of the first one, the second one in particular as well. Like the end of the first film really shows that it, Michael is now the Godfather. And then the second one, it comes into it more and more, his story arc as well. And then the third one, kind of, he tries to redeem himself. But in particular, the second one shows the background of Vito Corleone, and in particular, 
just just Michael's story that goes with it's just it's a wonderful film the second one in particular is is the big hitter there's quite a lot of moments which you don't see happening as well there's some really famous quotes which I'm I'm not going to say because I really really want you to watch these films because they are gorgeous the score's wonderful as well the score is actually done by um Francis Ford Capella's father. He's a musical composer, so he did the music as well. Literally just getting the family involved. Yeah, really all keeping the time. it together, eh? Yeah, they really were. And it works with The Godfather as well because it's all about family. It's a on one brand. Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful franchise. No end of actors are in it as well. You'll see so many famous faces as well. I'd highly recommend if you haven't seen it. Have you ever been interested in it? I've always, it's always one of those films that people have turned around and said, oh, these films are too long and they're too slow. They and- are long. Yeah, they are. So I've sort of always avoided them, and now I have such an extensive list of films to watch. I think there will always be those ones that oh, I'll always get around to them. Yeah, I mean, I I I had no interest in these films at all, and I randomly got them uh, one Christmas years and years ago, even before I was eighteen. And these are eighteen films uh, in like this DVD box set. I got it randomly, and I was like, I never asked for this, but so be it. And I was just bored one day, and I stuck it on, and I was blown away by what I watched. It was absolutely amazing. Great, sounds good. I'd highly recommend it. That is my first choice. Now onto my first choice, a mm. film that Marty hasn't seen. Yeah. I'm going to keep rubbing that in. No, yeah, good. Uh, the director of this film, not giving it away, said about Sally Hawkins, not only was she the first choice, but she was the only choice. I wrote this movie for Sally. I wrote the movie for Michael Shannon. Sally is... I wanted the character of Eliza to be beautiful in her own way. Not in a way that's like a perfume commercial kind of way. That you could believe that this character, this woman, would be sitting next to you on the bus. But at the same time, she would have a luminosity, a beauty, almost magical, ethereal. Oh, yeah. That's a what a wonderful way to talk about a person. Yeah. Not actually a fact, but also connected to this. The, the director first proposed this film to the uh, Sally Hawkins at the 24 Golden Globes and pitched the film to her while intoxicated saying I was drunk and it's not a movie that makes you sound less drunk <laughs> he was amazed when she took the role <laughs> on to actual fact two the director wrote lengthy backstories for each of the major characters some of them reportedly running over 40 pages long Wow! after casting the roles he offered them to the actors and said they could choose to utilise or ignore the backstories for their own character the actors responded differently with Richard Jenkins saying he ignored the backstory, stating, the only thing that matters is what happens on the screen, while Michael Stuhlberg said he read the backstory vicariously and found it helpful in his performance. What an amazing way to direct people as well. I'm giving you this knowledge, but you don't necessarily have to use it. See what you can do with it. It's also fascinating that when people have such a built-up world in their head of what this film is that we never see on the screen. We'll never know what these 40 pages said, but... To the director of this film, I nearly said it. To the director of this film, it's it's canon about what happens. That's amazing. Uh, and finally, according to an interview with the National University of Mexico, uh, the director said that if this film had flopped, he would have retired from directing altogether. I'm really glad he didn't. Mm, me too. Good. We will come back after this.
you're a young, ethereal woman, as the director puts it, and you're a cleaner, working for, you're not quite sure, in what appears to be some sort of military base. One day, while you're cleaning, you see a trail of blood running into a room. You're told to clean it, don't ask too many questions. As you lead into the room, you see a tank in front of you, containing the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You're not sure what it is. Is it is it a human? Is it a mermaid? It's some sort of aquatic man who stares at you, and you stare at him, and you know that somehow there's a connection between you. And as the days go by, you find more and more reasons to sneak into this room to clean this tank, and more and more reasons for this man to not be in this tank. I won't tell you the rest of the story, but the film is, of course, Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. A, a wonderful, wonderful love story in the strangest setting possible. This is a film that deserved so many awards for so many reasons. Um, mm. Guillermo del Toro, obviously the writer and director of this film, tells a story that is so fascinating and somehow believable, yet despite clearly not being believable at all. It's this weird sort of dank, green, dark, colour-palleted film that also somehow feels like Moulin Rouge, which is bright and red and, and mm. fascinating. And it's it's just, there's so much dichotomy when it comes to what is happening in the film and the way it makes you feel. And it's just fascinating all the way through. Mm. And you really root for these characters. And there's, it almost takes it back to the really simple days of, of the villain and the hero and, and what happens between them. Except the hero in this time is the female love interest she's not the strong male character and it, it it turns things on its head it keeps things traditional it's directed perfectly it gets you so emotionally involved in the film and yeah it's, it really is a fascinating piece of cinema but it's so unapologetically Gilmo del Toro as well yeah. anyone who's seen Pan's Labyrinth will recognise a lot of this film well I mean does he have a name the, the guy in the tank do they give him a name oh, I don't remember if I'm because honest. he looks pretty much spitting image of Abe from Hellboy One and Two, which De Toro actually directed as well. He he's he's actually based on the uh, the creature from the lagoon or creature from the dark lagoon. I can't remember what the exact. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes a lot. Of, yeah, because that's pretty much what Abe's directed. And um, he's okay. uh, it's just directly referenced because they say he's pulled from the same river that the key- creature from that film is also pulled from. Wow. So it's like a, a little throwback to that film. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. That's really good. Um, yeah, I mean, of everything which I've seen with regards to this film, nothing but. It's fantastic. You need to see it. It's wonderful. Um, although, sadly, when this came out, the uh, the most uh, prominent news which has stuck with me was when this film came out. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how else to say this, but there was uh, sex toys which uh, came out which resembled the fish man's penis uh, which came out. And that was a thing which just stuck with me ever since because it was so outlandish that people thought, yeah, you know what, we're, we're going to produce this and sell it. And it sold as well. Well. Do you know what I say to that, Marty? Good on whoever bought that. <laughs> if that's your thing, if you want fishman penis dildos, then you go out there and get them. Yeah. If that's what floats your boat, if that what makes you sink under the boat and hang around with the fishies, whatever, whatever works for you. It's 2020, it was 2017 when this film came out. It's the modern day. Go get you some. I don't want that to diminish from what you're saying because it genuinely sounds interesting and I'm gutted I haven't seen it. Um, film length-wise, how long is it? Is it a long film? Is it? I don't know, if I'm honest with you. I don't remember it being particularly long. Okay. Not huge amounts happen, mm-hmm. but that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. 
um, it tells the story it's trying to tell, similarly to what it was saying about 1917 earlier. It's, it's you know what's going to happen in this film pretty much from the beginning. Perfect. Um, with some twists and turns on the way. Of course. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Good. Um, anyone stand out in particular for their acting skills? Michael Shannon's always good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, the, uh, the, the main actress, um, Sally Hawkins, just absolutely nails it. She is deaf in this film she is mute in this film She's mute in this film okay um but that's not to say that she doesn't present language through uh, her acting and her like but body that's features good and- though because then that means levels of communication is not just on a vocal yeah and level. of course and when you're trying to communicate with a man in water through a glass wall you can't speak to him anyway mm-hmm. mm. that's really really nice oh i love that yeah um well i need to watch it but i would definitely from what dan has said Recommend to give it a watch. Definitely. That is Dan's first choice. Let's go on to my second. Clue one. To get enough extras for the battle at the Black Gate, a few hundred members of the New Zealand army were brought in. They apparently were so enthusiastic during the battle scenes that they kept breaking the wooden swords and spears they were given. I mean, just their wooden swords and spears are going to do nothing. So, you know, give them that one. Be fun, though. Mm. Clue two. Shulib's shriek is the combination of several elements, including the sounds of a plastic alien toy, steam hisses inspired by an accident where an alligator hissed at the director's daughter, Katie Jackson, and the shriek of a Tasmanian devil. Wow, Katie Jackson, eh? Mm. I wonder who the director is. I know, right? Well, she could have got married. Um, Also, I've never heard the noise of a Tasmanian devil. I'm just always aware of Taz. And (laughs) yeah, I don't think it is that noise, but I kind of hope it is at the same point. I really like, um, that's just to sort of interrupt you for a second. One Mm. of the things I really like is how simple some of the noises that are made in films. Godzilla's scream is a rubber glove being pulled down a glass panel. Is it really? That's the entire noise. Oh, I I love um, seeing, yeah, just going off on a side note, when you see um, them going into details about how they make the sound effects and all the different ways and aspects and household objects they just use and put together in order to make certain mm. noises, which uh, it just sound out of this world. And it's just simple products of, you know, sticking a rock on a piece of rail and then knocking it about and yeah. all of a sudden it's a totally different noise. Absolutely fascinating. It's the perfect job for that annoying kid at the back of the class that won't stop making noise. <laughs> yeah, totally. Nurture is. those children and they will be tomorrow's sound soundographers. Soundographers, nice. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I was just going to go for sound effect, guys, but yours is better. Clue free. For the scene where Mary and Pippin are smoking their pipes at Isengard. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do a thing in a minute. Um, Dominic Monaghan, who is Mary had to drink a glass of milk beforehand to keep himself from throwing up while smoking the pipe. No, no one's going to get this film, Marty. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just going to give you uh, another one um, just before I go. But taking the hobbits to Isengard. 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 It's a song. Everyone knows that. Da, 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 da.
Do you have any uh, uncles, Dan? Yes. Are you close? Uh, I mean, my my dad's one of nine. Okay. Um, My mum is one of four, so we've we've got a big old family. You ever lived with your uncle? No. No? Um, Do you reckon you'd be able to do that, get on with him? This is such a weird intro to this film. (laughs) Yeah, why not? Because this is what uh, a, a guy has the situation of. He's living with his uncle... Um, and and unless unless you've seen the extended edition of uh, these films, you, you're not going to know why. But he he lives with him anyway, and um, he's he's got really really old, like really old, uh, a lot older than what he should be, longer than any other person that you're aware of, um, minus one. And he's a different species altogether. Anyway, so he he randomly vanishes, and he leaves you all of his possessions. And this old guy is just like, your uncle's left and he's left you everything, including this ring. And he's like, oh, okay, a nice ring. Keep it safe. Don't don't tell anyone. Um, and the old man comes back and basically through various means tells you that this is the one ring to rule them all. And uh, we need to destroy it because otherwise an evil warmonger is going to come and uh, kill everyone. And that's what Frodo has to do in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And this film, which got the best director nomination and winner uh, was for Peter Jackson in Return of the King the final of the epic trilogy the confrontation between the forces of good and evil fighting for control the future of Middle Earth Frodo and Sam reach Mordor in their quest to destroy the One Ring whilst Aragorn leads the forces of good against Sauron's evil army at the stone city of Minas Tirith I absolutely love the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I recently got the extended editions on Blu-ray box set and it makes me so happy. Uh, And I'm currently plowing through all the the behind-the-scenes features as well because it's really, really interesting. Uh, It's it's kind of annoying for me, this trilogy of films. I've only seen these films the once. Okay. Um, And I saw them while I was at university because one of my housemates, she was obsessed with these films. Mm -hmm. She was like, you have to see them. I was like, yeah, great. You know, it's university. I'm not doing anything. Let's watch films. Um, (laughs) Study. uh, And she made me, in the space of a day and a half, watch all three extended editions of these films. That's 12 hours. And by the end of it, I was just so sick of it. I wish they'd all just jump in the volcano. (laughs) Um, And I've not come back to these films since. So I feel I owe them another chance Absolutely. spread over a longer time period the regular versions of the films to sort of really appreciate them now that I actually really like films as well what's what's really uh, impressive because you know in this day and age you wouldn't necessarily expect it especially on Blu-rays um, but the films are um, actually cut into two separate discs which I generally found fascinating I just assumed that it would all be on one disc but it's cut into two parts, every single film on a separate disc, which I, I found fascinating. But um, yeah, this this film won so many awards. Right? Just the Lord of the Rings trilogy in general has always been up there. For, you know, Peter Jackson, for me personally, and this goes against a lot of what other people think, this is my favourite trilogy of films. You know, people will go for Star Wars, that's the better trilogy, or for you, for example, Toy Story, before they mucked it up with Toy Story 4. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and several others. Some people choose the Dark Knight trilogy, etc., etc., etc. But for me, this just hits so many nails on the head. You've got... The, the actors are all flawless. Virgo Morrison does this amazing transformation when he, he looks 
like a very old man. But as soon as he gets in the Aragon outfit, he looks like this youthful, gorgeous specimen of a man. You have Liv Tyler, who's absolutely amazing. You have the the story between her and Eowyn, who like Aragon later meets as well. And which one is he going to choose? And you have Sam and Frodo on her own separate journey, and. Gollum comes into it and Merry and Pippin and Legolas and Gimli they have this friendship and they're elves but they're dwarves and they don't normally necessarily like each other but they come through the bond of friendship through battle Cost me. <laughs> but don't tell the elf um, there's just so many characteristics of this film which works and even though definitely not like 1917 um, where you know the story is going from pillar to post and it's all over middle earth you're seeing various different characters new characters constantly popping up and you have to keep track of everyone's separate storyline at the same time it's all magical and wonderful and the score by howard shaw is you know he's composed beautifully as well every single aspect of this film is amazing and i appreciate this this franchise even more now due to finally seeing the extended editions because they're not easy to get and the amount of extra detail is just insane. Yeah, I think, um, obviously, we're talking about directors this week. And I think, irrelevant whether you like these films or not, you can really respect Peter Jackson for what he achieves with this film. Oh, absolutely. The fact that 99.9% of people won't notice, but the orcs are split into families, and their face paint is different depending on the family. They are. And they have shield crests, and he he has really built up an entire world for anyone that wants to look closely enough, wants to look with a magnifying glass they will be rewarded for their efforts in looking yeah. into this film because he had a vision for what these books would look like and he went all out to do it. Yeah. And he it wasn't it wasn't one of these things that turned into like a pet project that he and a few nerds would really enjoy. Mm. And by nerds I mean people who are really super into something, not necessarily people who are into Lord of the Rings, to be clear. Yeah. Um and it's just fascinating that he he both put it out there for the people who really love the franchise but also for everyone else and succeeded on every single front he uh, he was still filming after he won this award for return of the king for the extended edition he was he'd won the award and he was still going above and beyond to get every single detail which he wanted which again to me is just fascinating for someone who's going to have that much admiration and pure will to to give you the ultimate film experience it was continuing to do it even though he'd done everything that people assumed that he was going to do and he was still going above and beyond for sure and i think this is where we tip the scales from media into art mm. um and anything could truly be art if depending on the intention and depending on how a person perceives it um music is something i've really gotten into a lot more in the last few years and one of the things i really understand these days is that the music that perhaps you look at as sort of being the most angry or the most aggressive is often because a person has the most emotion and they need to pour that emotion through a lens that is, Mm -hmm. in this case, music. Or in this instance, this is where a film stops being something to watch for an hour and a half to three hours to entertain you and it becomes a piece of art. It becomes a critique on modern day. It becomes a showcase of the technology we have. It becomes one man's vision becoming a physical, tangible object. And it's just fascinating that it can happen with such a popular popular thing, such as the Lord of the Rings books. Yeah. It's, I think it's a lot easier to turn something you write and direct, such as Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water, it's something that only existed in his head and he could do, or do it in any way he wanted. No, in this case, Peter Jackson managed to turn an existing heavy piece of literature into something that's fascinating and really is a piece of art. Wonderfully put, yeah. You absolutely hit me on my head. The only thing that Peter Jackson didn't like... Um, and he kept it in. Um, Because Tom Bombadil is 
a main factor in the Lord of the Rings books. He completely scrapped him. He's a guy who runs around singing and he's very Hobbit friendly, but it didn't really work with the story. But the main factor which he kept in, and he only kept it for the fanboys essentially, was the Army of the Dead. He had a different idea of how the Battle of Minas Tirith was going to end. But, you know, the good guys would still be victorious, but there'd be another way of them dealing with it. Um, but he purely kept that in for the fanboys and he said, that's the only thing that I wasn't too keen on I still kept in everything else he absolutely loves well i think also sort of backs up everything we're saying here is how terrible the uh, hobbit films were unbelievably i'm glad you brought that up because i can't stress how excited i was when i was like oh they're doing the hobbit brilliant that's going to be a film right no 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 jackson got greedy jackson wanted to make it into three films the studio got greedy wanted to make more movies more money more merchandise etc 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 and it ruined it because it should have been one film. It's a smaller book than any one... And it's one. also a children's book. Yeah, it's a, The Hobbit is a smaller book than any one of the three Lord of the Rings films, and yet they managed to expand it because they got the Similarum book as well, which gives Simrillion, you... Similarum, yeah. Sim, thank you. Um, it gives you information about Gandalf and his background and his origins, etc., and they put it into a film. It wasn't necessary. There was no need for it whatsoever. I didn't need to know the background of Gandalf. I didn't need to know any of that, and yet... For some reason, the studio was like, give us your money. Yeah, and originally Peter Jackson didn't want to do it. He he originally turned it really? down, but then for whatever, probably money, turn, turned the idea around for him. But I think what you can really see is that he wasn't as driven by this project. He wasn't, wasn't as so interested in it. And it did become three fine blockbuster films. And that's what they are. They are blockbuster films. Um, I've watched one and two, and two was a struggle. I've never watched three, and I don't ever want to. Yeah, d- don't bother. The, the ending of two with... Smaug flying off to the village. I don't really care. Smaug was the only bit, good bit of those films. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's similar to, like, I think the comparisons compared to... Uh, you probably haven't seen um, uh, Doctor Sleep yet. No, I but, do. But you go Doctor from Sleep. The Shining, which is a Stanley Kubrick film, is an absolute masterpiece, to Doctor Sleep, which is a good blockbuster film. Yeah. But you just can't compare the two. You're not, not going to touch it. Yeah, it's it's an issue. It's an absolute issue. And I mean, Peter Jackson, he he's known for some good films, to be honest. Bad Taste was one of his originals. The Frighteners, personal favourite of mine as well, with Michael J. Fox. It's, I actually prefer him in The Frighteners as opposed to Back to the Future. And uh, he did King Kong as well, the recent one with Jack Black back in 2003, mm. so not Skull Island. Um, and he did Lovely Bones as well, which really goes under the radar, which was a wonderful film. Did you ever see Lovely Bones? I didn't. It's a book-to-film adaption uh, where a girl, through various ways in the film, she dies and she goes to the afterlife, but she tries to help her family find her killer. Um, and it's gorgeous story. Very upsetting as well, but wonderfully done. I would highly recommend Lovely Bones, just any of Peter Jackson's but films. But what, what a strange series. Also, Peter Jackson, who originally was making these really, really cheap, sort of really weird, Bad sort taste, of prime yeah, example, yeah. sci-fi films, where it's like, okay, yeah, you go from that to what is an absolute literary masterpiece that you convert into a filmmaking masterpiece. I know. What what a step up in his what career for that. Yeah, what, and it, it shows really that he's got massive talent behind him. Very, very talented guy. That is my second choice. We're now going to move on to Dan's final choice. And uh, a personal favourite of this film for me. Mm. Again, Marty hasn't seen this because he's not a real movie fan. And um, I am, but never mind. Uh, Also, um, I've had really no 
want to see this film. So I'm I'm interested to hear what you like so much about this film as well. Okay. Clue number one. Because director wanted to shoot the scenes in a tradition of old musicals without cuts or editing, Ryan Gosling practiced playing the piano and played it himself in one take on his first day of shooting. Wow. Co-star John Legend who is a classically trained pianist, said he is jealous of how quickly Gosling learned to play so well. He's a legend in this. He is in this, yes. Number two, director, is known for using long, uninterrupted takes in the film, but he also uses at least one sequence spooled backwards. In the last scene at the planetarium, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone fall out of the air and perfectly into their seats, then kiss and the camera zooms in for a close-up before the fade. The sequence was shot backwards, starting in the black, zoom out to the kiss, and telescope out to the two shot, then the wide shot, then Stone and Gosling are lifted out of their chairs, and then the entire sequence is run in reverse. The director and his writing partner, I'm not going to give any names away this time, came up with the idea of the film during their senior year at Harvard University in 2010, when the director, writing the musical tracks, and the other director on dialogue, this is really hard to do when you you just (laughs) haven't edited these out, Initially, they found two financial backers and a producer for a budget of one million. However, the demand for a lot of the script changes made them drop the project off. After Whiplash in 2014 found critical success, the project was resurrected with the studio, increasing the budget to $30 million. Wow. This allowed the uh, filmmakers to rent the Griffith Observatory for filming. A full day of rental there cost $10,000. Ten grand? Yeah, it's a cool place to film though. And obviously, it wasn't just done in a day either. No, not with the whole reverse shot happening there and stuff. Well, at least, you know, they weren't Francis Ford Capella and it was 104 days. Yeah. Because that would have been a lot of money. Then everyone would have been shouting at him like, this could have been done in 19. (laughs) Should have been Serpico. Right, we'll be back after this. Stone plays a young, aspiring actress in the big city, struggling to make her way to the top. Mm. She meets a boy in a piano bar, playing jazz, played by Ryan Gosling. I love jazz. And the two of them, you know what it is. You walk in, he's playing the piano. She's a beautiful actress. He's you know a what's going to happen. Uh, what actually happens is that they hate each other. <laughs> they don't get on at all. But you find all this out through a charming musical tap dance number. This is, of course, a musical film, which is why I think Marty doesn't like it. But this film tells the story of what it'd be like to live in Hollywood and also have Hollywood itself be a musical. It's it's a beautiful, wonderful film that I'm not going to talk... Again, as I always do, I, st- I give you the start of the plot, I tease you and then I take it away. Um, La La Land, this film, by uh, Damien Chazelle, is a beautiful, wonderful film that's fun it's colourful, it's bright, but it also tells a story that subverts your expectations. Um, 
for reasons that I really don't want to say because again I think people should enjoy this film as blind as possible yeah. but it, it's a charming musical number it has a fantastic soundtrack and genuinely maybe the most beautiful film I've ever seen in terms of its simplicity in terms of also its the movement in this film is something something to be respected um, mm. and I think that's why I picked it for a film about direction there's so much dancing there's so much so many set pieces but it does it in such an interesting way so the opening to this film is basically shot on a highway of unmoving traffic as everyone's just in a traffic jam and it goes from people being in their cars honking their horns to this wonderful number of people dancing on the bonnets to to flowing between the cars to traffic weaving in and out of each other so even the cars are dancing and then suddenly at the end of the number everyone hops back in the car and they're beeping the horns again wow. just to remind you that you are in this real city um Obviously, Damien Chazelle was on my radar after Whiplash, which is one of my favourite films of all time. I've talked about it before on the show. Absolutely amazing um, To go from that, which is, again, this hugely stylized, fascinating film to what is essentially a Broadway show just made into a movie in the first instance mm. with fantastic dancing, with fantastic acting. A lot of people didn't like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone for their, for their singing in this film, but I think they absolutely nail it because Emma Stone isn't a perfect singer, um, nor is Ryan Gosling. But Emma Stone is playing the role of an aspiring actress in this film. She's not some Hollywood movie star already. And I think that sort of rawness and that innocence that comes through there really helps to exemplify the role she's trying to play in the film. Um, I think the use of bright colours really helps to simplify it and make it look like a stage show when it's not a stage show. Because normally you think of stage show, it'd be people in an outfit against maybe sort of a more a more sort of simple backdrop. And that's what this yeah. film is. But it is shot on scene in Hollywood, you know? And... The the film the scene that I sort of mentioned in the observatory, I don't want to talk about it too much because it's one of the best scenes in the entire film. But to go from this really simple style of acting to this big, huge set piece with actress, actors and actresses sort of spinning around a room. And this is none of it is to mention the sort of story between Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone themselves and the relationship they have throughout the film, which is both wonderful and heartbreaking and lovely. And it's, it's just outstanding. How would you... Because... Over recent years, I've got better with musicals. I have. How would you say? What reason would you give me to watch this? Then, not on the musical aspect. Then, is is the story? Is the music? You know, like jazz, for example. Is it really out there? John Legend. Is he good in it? Just something which isn't about the music aspect. So let me put it this way: mm. This isn't a musical, so that a film can be tied around music. Mm-hmm. The music is there to progress the story of this film because it's a film of someone trying to get into the world that she's portraying. Okay. Yep. Think of it as like a reverse musical. Yep, I can do that. It's interesting because one of our uh, other guests um, who come on, Des Hamilton. Oh, um, the music man. Yeah, exactly. He's known for his musicals. He wasn't a fan of this film. Yeah, I, I can understand that, and I think that's probably exactly why he's not a fan of this film, okay. because it isn't like a traditional musical. Yeah. And if you sat and listened to the soundtrack, you probably think it is, um, but actually it's not. It it doesn't feel like a musical. The music's there to serve a purpose, but it's not there to be the be-all and end-all. Frustratingly, I, uh, I know the ending of this film. Don't give it away. No, I'm not going to give it away, but um, yeah, no, I, I know the ending of this film, and that almost gave me a reason to want to watch it because I was like, oh, okay, interesting. I don't think, I think for someone who maybe wouldn't have watched it otherwise, perhaps that's not a bad thing if it doesn't encourage you to watch it. Mm. Naturally, I sobbed. Did you? But it is a film and I do cry at most. Is there um, any other big names in this film? So you've got obviously Gosling, Stone, uh, John Legend. Anyone else in there? Not that springs to mind, but then I'm not particularly good for putting a name to a face. 
I mean, of what I've seen visually, as you said, the, the colours, the look of it, the feel of it, it looks stunning. Yeah, it? It, it's a directional masterpiece, and you definitely deserve the Oscar for this. Um, yeah. And again, it's just one of those films where it is written and directed, un- unlike... Um, Unlocked all the rings. It's sort of written and directed to be this film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can see that through and through. I can imagine if it's not already, it's going to be on stage at some point. I would hope not. No, I think it is its own medium here, and also I think it's because a film that's about being in films, mm. it's about being an actress on the big screen. I think that synergy between the story and what you're actually watching wouldn't matches really well. That wouldn't work on stage. I just don't think it needs to be. I think it's found its perfect medium. Good. Okay, well, I'll watch it. So be it. I'll watch it, Dan. Good, I'm proud of you, man. To be fair, every time you, you go away and watch one of these sort of rogue picks that I sort of call out, and you, you come back yeah, and you're like, Dan, yeah. it was excellent. Yeah, I mean, your biggest one for me was Whiplash. Mm. Just going back onto that previously, this this guy's previous film, was I just I had no interest in it whatsoever, and I was blown away by how good that film was and just the amount of emotions that mm. that film gives you. You know, you hate someone, you love someone, you feel sorry for someone, you want them to triumph all of a sudden. It's just... Yeah, and um, that's for both the uh, the main characters and the supporting actors of that film. Mm. Um, yeah. No one comes out of that film squeaky clean. No, no. But also the the music's outstanding. Um, Caravan, the, uh, the main piece of music from oh. that film, um, is one of my most played tracks on Spotify because it's just perfect. And it goes on forever, but it doesn't matter. No. It's a lovely bit of music. That is the end of this week's show. Which I, I, it's a bit of a shame. I, was, I, was, uh, I feel we really got into it this week. Yeah, it was good. I liked that. Directors, they're good. Uh, next week, we'll be back with a, another show. Um, but until... Or another episode. But until next week, uh, Daniel, thank you very much. For Marty, thanks me. for having me. And to everyone else, have a week. Bye.